Hi everyone, I'm Colby Horton. And I'm Frank Humata. And we'd like to welcome you to another episode of Engaging in the Next, an original podcast from Association Briefings where we talk about what's next for the association community when it comes to technology, Marcom strategy, people, membership, and money. How's it going, Frank? Good. I, I, I kind of made a discovery last night I wanted to talk about. Oh, I, I have no idea where this is going, but let's, let's go ahead and hear it. You, you may be a little shocked and, and your dreams might be crushed by this, but I found out I'm really bad at singing. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I dragged some friends out for a little reunion and the place we went to um, had karaoke. Ooh, yeah, this can't end well. Now, no one was going on stage, so the MC was kind of in a sticky situation. So I, I thought I was being a good guy by by volunteering to go up. <laughs> you, you know, Frank, you're you're one of the most outgoing guys I know. So honestly, this makes perfect sense. I don't I don't see the problem. Well, I don't usually do karaoke, and I kind of panicked, uh, so I picked uh, Meatloaf's uh, rock ballad. I would do anything for love. <laughs> Yeah, you could have done anything else, you know, a little friends in low places or don't stop believing, but you went all in, huh? Yeah, I probably should have done those songs because um, I don't know if you're familiar with this jam, but it's 12 minutes long. So oh. it got kind of awkward around the eight minute mark, but uh, I, I was so in, I couldn't walk away at that point. And the, the good news is uh, anyone who came after me, I made them look really good. <laughs> so there's a there's a little bit of a silver lining there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> but hey. I appreciate the story because the way I see it, you ultimately started the party. Probably not the first time, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> and uh, let's go ahead and tie that story into something we're going to discuss today. So I'm going to get a little metaphorical on you, Frank. The karaoke bar is similar to an association's community forum. Okay, stick with me. Explain. All right. Karaoke bar isn't hopping until someone starts singing. And if nobody is posting on your community forum, the platform is really just like a quiet karaoke bar. And that's no fun. Okay. So you need someone to kick it off or several people to keep things going. And our guest is going to help you with that. No, I won't do so today we're joined by Beth Errett. Beth is a self-proclaimed association evangelist, marketing strategist, and marketing automation aficionado who is an expert in multi-channel member communications. So Frank, we've got a lot to cover. So welcome to the podcast, Beth. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So I want to start with a discussion wrapped around technology. And you, you both can feel free to disagree with me, but I think that associations are more aware of their tech stack more than ever. We're talking the technology and applications that drive their AMS, email automation, app development, event registration, online renewal programs, all of that. I mean, it's funny, just using the term tech stack when talking about associations, I mean, that's a huge leap from where we were a few years ago, right? Beth, why is uh, technology such a player in today's association ecosystem? I think there's a number of reasons. I think one is that you've basically got a lot more Gen Zers entering the workplace and they've just grown up with technology right there in their hand. So that, I think that makes a difference. They expect it. And I think that at this point, to quote Reggie Henry, who's eminently quotable from <laughs> ASAE, people 
no longer associate you, no pun intended, with other associations. Whatever experience they got on your website, they're comparing it to the last thing they were on. So if they were on Amazon before they came there, they're expecting to see, oh, here's what you might be interested in. And here, two clicks to get into your um, paying for whatever you're looking for. And, oh, let me search. Okay, that'll bring up exactly what you want and invariably five pairs of curtains for some reason. I have no idea, but <laughs> that's what seems to happen on Amazon every time I go on that. Maybe they really think I need some curtains. That but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. Uh, but yeah, they, they expect that kind of ease and that personal experience. It's not personalized. It's great. If you want to say, hey, Beth, at the top of your web page, that's great. That's not personal. That's personalized. And they actually expect you to know who they are. I have always said that you should be the Amazon Plus experience. You should know your members better than Amazon knows them. You might not know as much about them as Amazon knows, but you definitely should know them better. Right. It all goes back to the data. We preach that all the time, that we have to, as associations, provide this individualized experience to the members because that's what they're used to seeing. You know, Amazon's a great example. Netflix is a, a perfect example. Spotify, they're all just feeding us things based on what we're engaging with. And associations should be doing the same. And I think it's this technology stack that's really going to help drive that as we move on to the future. Uh, I cut my cable TV a couple of years ago and I just have YouTube TV. And I'm, as a marketer, I am always so fascinated by the ads that I get mm-hmm. because those ads are driven not just by you know, what I watch or my different, but my actual Google searches, which is a little creepy, but at the same kind of time, scary. yeah, at the same time though, it's kind of, it's fascinating to me as a marketer. I mean, you live in this age where whatever you watch on TV, I'm watching 911 on Fox. But the ads I'm seeing are based on my Google search. Mm-hmm. Yeah, also a huge fan of YouTube TV. So this next question is sponsored by YouTube TV. Hopefully. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, <laughs> the, the idea of, of virtual interactions obviously exploded during the pandemic. Uh, but with most of us at least attending one in-person event this year, do you think virtual interactions still have legs as we get back in person? A hundred percent. There's going to be a lot of cutback, and I think there's going to be ten, continue to be cut back, at least over pre-pandemic times, on how much people are going to be able to go to, what they're going to be able to get to, what they're going to be able to get the money and the time to go to, particularly when there are still so many options online. So you're talking about people who might get to go to one, maybe two virtual events a year, uh, if that. And then there's always going to be the group of people who are just coming up or who can't get away long enough who just can't go to these things. And the only way that only option they have is virtual. Um, But I think we've all gotten a little comfortable online talking to each other and having that experience that seems like you're sitting there talking to somebody that's just a keyboard instead of your mouth or, you know, in some cases, Zoom. So you've got community where you can sort of sit there and talk to them asynchronously. You can have this conversation like you're sitting at a park bench and you come up and leave a note for somebody. And then you go away and then two hours later, they come out and get the note and they leave one for you. So it's kind of this little community thing all the way up to just, you know, clicking on a, a button and having a video call with somebody. And it's like, they're right there. So I don't think that's going to go away. I think that at every level, the technological communication is going to get more and more. I tend to agree with that. We talked a little bit about community. So let's get into your wheelhouse. I want to talk about the evolution of an association community forum. I think we can all agree that today's forums are not anything like forums of, of 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. When I started in the association space, I used to maintain 
several listservs for an organization, which I guess I would contend are early iterations of a community forum, maybe? Oh, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. So it's certainly nothing like what's being delivered today. So where have we been and where are we going when it comes to community forums? So I have to say, I, you said it's nothing like what it, it was, and I agree and I disagree at the same time. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit about the evolution. You'll see why. So yeah, I would definitely say listservs were actually no, even before that, just the posting boards on um, mm. Prodigy, like the Prodigy posting boards. Wow. Yeah. Even back, yes, I'm, I'm old school, <laughs> <laughs> old school, <laughs> school. Yes. Old school. Um, Prodigy posting boards, things like that. You could even really, if you wanted to, you could go back to like classified ads in the newspapers, but that's sure. really pushing it a little. Pen pals. <laughs> pen pals anyway. uh, but no, I mean, in terms of electronic evolution, I think Prodigy probably wins as like the early posting boards. And then uh, I know, for example, when I was in college, we had the Vax computers, because yes, I am old. Um, we had posting boards on there that we can talk. And so then you got into sort of more fanish type stuff. And a lot of fans, you know, younger fans in college age or a little bit older than that, participating in all of these fanish ones and getting used to talking to people online. And it was a combination of like posting boards where you could just go post and listservs. Yahoo had listservs. And people were able to, were so excited to be able to like send a message to other people who were interested in the same thing. So now instead of like a local knitting group that got together every Tuesday night to knit, you've got people on different sides of the world sending each other knitting patterns and saying, hey, I'm knitting on, I'm, I'm doing this and doing the same thing at the same time. So you've now expanded this huge list of people who have the same interests. And associations, I think, really came in and were like, oh, hey, you know what? This could work for us. So then you now you've got associations kind of getting that space with listservs. And some of them are still using listservs or have been using a version of listserv. And that evolved into this whole community space, which is kind of a cross between a posting board and a listserv. So it hasn't really evolved all that much. The funny thing I find, though, is that people are all like, oh, this is so fantastic. We can go and post and then we can come back and somebody else has posted. And they've gone from that back to the whole, I need to get this an email right away. Why, why, why can't I just get this an email right away? And I need to be able to reply. So you want a listserv? And they're like, no, I want a community where I can get by, send something in by email and get responses by email. So you want to listen. <laughs> so I think that, you know, today's communities really do have to function as both. Well, they really have to function. They have to function as a posting board. They have to function as um, a safe lockdown kind of repository for information. Because this is now like, if this is your community, that's your local library where you can go check stuff out. And so... They also have to have a way to easily get a hold of the other person. So now you've got the profiles. You can find them out, you know, like you're looking them up in the yellow pages. Wow, I really am going old school today. Uh, <laughs> so you're looking at yellow pages. Oh, there's their profile. Oh, I see their name. And then maybe you saw them in the local paper and you saw they were interested in dogs because they actually posted something. So if you think about it, it's just very much the exact same community we're all living in. In the real world, we can go to visit different virtual ones, but they still do function very much like a listserv for the most part. And I even got it now set so that I can get those things to come back to me as text. So I don't even have to worry about opening my email anymore. I just get a text. <laughs> so I've gone all the way back to the days of texting. So yeah, it has kind of evolved immensely and yet come full circle. 
What are three pieces of advice you can give in, in creating a successful online community? Mm, the first piece of advice is engage. The second piece is engage. And if one and two don't work, see one and two. <laughs> Got it. No, no, no. Okay. no <laughs> Obviously, engagement is important. I mean, the first thing to know, if you build it, they will not come. The second thing is, if you bring them back to it, they will not talk first. Mm-hmm. And the third is, if you don't find ways to bring them back to it, give them a reason to talk or someone to respond to, they won't care. So you need to find something where they can access it. I was just talking about all the different ways people want to access it. Oh, I want text. Oh, I want it by email. Oh, I want to go be able to post. You need to have multiple ways for people to access it and interact with it. One way is not going to work. The other thing is you really need to give them a reason to engage. I know a lot of people use gamification and done right. It can be done very well. But I would charge that with that gamification, want to try and add in things that get people to interact with other people with similar interests. For example, say you ask the people, what's your favorite animal? And for every animal, you give them a little badge on their profile. And then you offer people however many points for finding five other people who have the same badge. Because now, not only do they get points and they get gamification, they've come back there. They found five people who have interests mm-hmm. similar to theirs. They may reach out to some of those people. They may start their own little sub-community for dog lovers who happen to be a part of this industry. But you've used that gamification to get them engaged and get them to find five people. So things like that, you have to be creative and get them engaging with other people, not just with the specific dialogue in one post. Right. What you're describing is what makes networking sessions at in-person events so successful. This idea of, hey, go find a like-minded person and have a conversation. You're just able to do it in this controlled environment within the community Mm -hmm. where you make your friends within this online association community. So it works in in in-person networking. It's certainly going to work in in your online forum as well. So that's great advice. A lot of people are using gamification. A lot of people are trying to use gamification. But I think that the most successful gamification is going to be part driven by participation with the organization and part driven by getting to know the other people in the community, because now they've got five people that they've gone to find and they're drawing them out and having conversations. So now you've got reasons to come back. Mm -hmm. I mean, you really do have to think through it as a community. I made the joke earlier, half joke about it being your little community. And then this is your library. And over here is where, you know, maybe over here is where you post the notice at the, at the post office about something, a lost dog or whatever. So this is your little way of going about and meeting your neighbors. You've got to find a way for that to happen. Otherwise, you're just going to sit in your house and know no one and no one's going to know who you are and you're just not going to come back. Yeah. yeah. I'm all about the analogy. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You're, you're, You're all about new buzzwords too. We appreciate you introducing gamification to, to the audience and really explaining what that is. So thanks. Gamification is awesome if you do it right. If you do it right. And use that term around your, uh, millennials and your, your Gen Z members. You'll, You'll sound really cool. I don't know, your Gen Zers might be like, what? Boomer. (laughs) (laughs) Then maybe I'm not as cool as I think I am. So (laughs) thanks for uh, leveling me off there, Beth. (laughs) I think here's the problem with Gen Z. Uh Uh-oh. It's really less of a problem with Gen Z than it is the problem with the rest of us understanding Gen Z. Gen Z have grown up with all of these tactics. They're hip 
to the tactics. Look how hip I am. Uh, They understand them. They know what you're doing. So you have to be much more authentic about it. Kiki Latayan does this amazing talks on authenticity and being true. And I think that that's what Gen Z is looking for. Now, if you're really, really a good con artist, you can do fake authenticity. But if you're not, it's pretty difficult. And they can see through a lot of this stuff because they grew up with it and they kind of know what it looks like. Uh, but I think that that dog hunt, scavenger hunt, favorite animal lovers, what do you want to call it? I think something like that. And it doesn't have to be an animal. That's just like having a, a monthly scavenger hunt where you have to go find five people with the same interest in this area. And then saying, while you're here, be sure to go fill out your profile and let us know these other areas of interest. Oh. And they may or may not pertain to your association, but that's okay. Not every piece of information you bring in has to be germane to the association. It needs to be germane to the community's interests. When you talk to associations about their forms and you talk to them about how to get people coming back and you talk to them about the engagement factor and how important it is to to engage, I think that sometimes there's this trepidation, if, if that's the right word, this feeling that, well, okay, so we built it and no one is posting, no one's asking questions, no one's engaging. What's your advice on getting that first person to post? Because that's all you need. You need that conversation starter. How do you get that going? So you go and find the first person who has an email account. You have them log on and you give them a thousand dollars to post. No, just kidding. Totally kidding. Wow. <laughs> I'll do that. Sign me up. <laughs> that was a joke. That was a joke. No, ser- okay. In all seriousness, uh, you, you find your influencers for a start. Every industry has them. Every association kind of know who they are. They're the person who is leading others down the uh, street at 10 p.m. head somewhere to a bar. They're the people who are, when somebody posts, people pay attention. You see, Even to nothing else, you see the spikes go up on the, the views. You find that those people and beg them to post. When you post something, email them. Do not be afraid to email them and say, hey, I just posted this. Can you jump in? Because again, no one wants to be the first one to say something. So no one wants to be the first person to post. No one wants to be the first person to respond. Mm-hmm. If you can get that to happen and get that conversation going, then there's a really good chance it'll keep going. And if you keep that up, you'll get a core group of people who are kind of interested and, and they'll, you'll see them a lot. One of the things that we do at Hyrologic that I absolutely love is that we have these Hug Connects. Hug is our Hyrologic users group. And we have these Hug Connects where every day is at three o'clock, anybody who's working in community can come and talk around a specific topic. Every Thursday at three o'clock, it's a marketing topic. And that, by the way, tends to go and spur a lot more conversation because these people know each other. They get together every week and it's really helpful. Uh, it sparked ASNT, the American Society of Non-Destructive Testing. They started doing membership Mondays and they bring people once a, a month, they bring people in to talk about their benefits, talk about you know the membership itself and just get them in a cadence of, hey, this is happening here. Look, we, here's who we are face to face. If you can get something like that going, you can even have different members lead it. So those members now become even bigger influencers. People tend to pay attention when they post and you've got a community starting to mold itself and grow itself. That makes a lot of sense. Let's make it clear. There is nothing wrong with getting your core group of influencers, your core group of people who will come in and spark conversation and continue conversation. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we... We create podcasts all the time and we tell them, hey, get your 
staff, get your board, get your mom to go in and, and review the podcast because it's only going to drum up the interest that you want it to. And the same thing is here with the community forum. There's nothing worse than an empty community forum. It's not much of a community at that point, right? So your work isn't done when you launch the forum. You have to get those folks in to have the conversation. And you just gave some great advice on how to do so. Yeah. Like, your, is your work done when you build your house? Nope. <laughs> no. do, you sleep on the, do you sleep on the concrete floor? <laughs> do you have nothing on the walls? You have no chair? Yeah, no. The work, does it get dusty? Do you have to clean it? No, it's, it's constant maintenance. But if you do it right and you engage people and get them working, like talking with other people, then it's not just you doing the maintenance anymore. It's a community. I always am amused by the people. Like, oh, that's wrong. You shouldn't have to go tell somebody to post. Anytime we do a webinar or a panel or anything, the first thing we do is seed questions. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, so if nobody asks a question, what are the seed questions? Because you want to make it look like there were questions because no one likes to be the first person to talk. I freely admit that I will often be the first one to speak up in a room, not just because I'm opinionated and loud, but also because I know other people are not as comfortable speaking up. And so I know if I raise my hand and say something quickly, then the next person's not going to feel so bad because now they're not the first person. If I'm doing a talk, a lot of times I will try and make sure that I have somebody in the audience that I know so that I'm comfortable that I know that person is going to ask. And if not, I have no problem going out and pulling out the person I think is most likely to not completely hate me for making them talk. But I will, I will pull it. I will pull people in. I, I will pull people in. You will talk to me. <laughs> But that's so, the kind of person a community needs. Exactly. So Beth, are you the first person to jump up at the karaoke bar and uh, get it started? I am the person who led 10 other people to the karaoke bar just so I could sing karaoke. Fair enough. I like True story. it. True story. <laughs> True story. There are people probably going to hear this podcast who can verify it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep them anonymous. It's all right. So <laughs> last week we were all at Nandusapalooza in Nashville. It was a great event. The topic of time poverty was mentioned in several presentations, and you know this is a new buzzword again that's out there. It's, it's really, we've all felt it for years, the feeling of having too many things to do and not enough time to do them. Yeah, now they've coined a term for it, but there it is, time poverty. But probably more than any other group, small staff associations are probably the most challenged with time poverty. How can a community forum help with that? I'm going to go a couple ways with this. One is what we were talking about before, where you have this ability to pull in leaders who can help each other or pull people in discussions where they can help each other. They can help each other answer questions. They can help each other with membership problems. Before, say I'm the membership director, I remember I calling you like, I'm having this problem. Can you track down another airport that might be, have done the same thing so that I can find out what they did? True story. I've seen this happen many times. And notice I said airport without thinking. And that member director would then have to put everything down and go, okay, okay. And start asking around. We would all get an email saying, hey, does anybody know it's airports, an airport that's done X? And then it would be, well, maybe so-and-so might know. So then you get on the phone, you're trying to find out. And then you have to go around and finally you might find somebody and you call them back or you actually send an email, make an introduction and hope that they got back to each other. Now that person can go on this. You can keep an eye on it. If nobody responds in a day or two, then you might want to farm it out and make sure somebody answers it. But most of the time, somebody's going to answer it. How much time did that just save me? And that's just one of it. When you get into what you can learn about your members and their needs, how you can surface the right information automatically without having to do anything once you've learned it, there's a whole other saving. The fact that you can post the information there 
and people will get it in various ways. They'll get it through email if they're getting the digest or a smart newsletter or something like that. If you've got, I know some of the orders that have RSS feeds set up that go to out to different areas. There's one that they basically use one of their communities, one of the communities they have as a posting board, more or less to post information. But then they use the RSS feed to send that out to like a discord channel that a lot of the younger kids that are part of the association use and to social media. So you used to have to post it in five different places. Now they just post the community and the RSS feeds do the work. So there's that. And then there is, if you attach it to marketing automation, that is the community is feeding into. Well, now you've got, okay, this person has this problem. They're interested in this. Oh, let's send them, just automatically send them information about this solution over here on the marketing automation side. At one point at AAAE, we had 29 different campaigns running. Most of them were fed by either community activity or web tracking. We have two-person marketing teams. So if we didn't have those kind of things saving us, we'd have had poverty because we wouldn't have been making any money. So, <laughs> so yeah, it doesn't just help with time poverty. It helps with the lack of just keeping poverty away in general. There you go. Win-win. Pretty much. Well, Beth, we really appreciate you being our guest today. And uh, you know, before we let you go, let's put you in the hot seat one last time. Oh, we got someone planned for you. We want to put you in the hot seat in a final segment we call the Briefings Minute. So we're going to fire off a minute worth of questions just to learn a little bit more about you. So just give us the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? I think so. Uh, Here we go. First question. There are a lot of trends from the 90s and early 2000s that are popular again today. What trend do you wish would come back in style? Trends that I wish would come back in style. Kindness. I think that with the increase in social media and the ability to just hide behind a computer board, computer board, a computer keyboard, and bash people you never have to see. We've lost a lot of that. Not that there isn't still plenty of kindness out there, but I think we've lost a lot of, a lot of being kind to each other. So Beth, what movie are you embarrassed to admit that you enjoy? I saw Star Wars The Phantom Menace 30 times in the theater. Oh, wow. We don't want the hate mail on that one, so. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> we'll put your contact information in the show notes in case anyone wants to debate that one. Thanks yeah, for the insight. There's a story behind it, but still. <laughs> <laughs> we were recently in Nashville for Nandusapalooza, but what's the most fun city you've ever traveled to for a conference? Nashville. ASAE was, that was a lot of fun. It really was. Nashville, no, I mean, ASAE was a lot of fun too, but like Nashville, getting to experience it like that for a few nights, that was a lot of fun. Those are some late nights. Yes, they were. <laughs> Nashville's becoming the uh, the new Vegas for associations yeah, too. Everybody just calls it Nash Vegas now. So Beth, what's your biggest phobia? This is my brain is frozen face because I literally have like five of them like just running around in a circle going, me, 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 me. Um, Interesting. I would say probably claustrophobia. It took me a, a lot of strength to take the Metro into work for a few years. Mm. And as soon as I was able to drive, hasta la vista, Metro. I'll be back. Ooh, that's serious claustrophobia there. Yeah, which is hilarious considering how much I love to fly, but that's a... It's okay. We are all strange creatures, you know. <laughs> now, Beth, what are the ingredients for the perfect sandwich? The perfect sandwich, toasted honey wheat bread, oven roasted turkey, tomatoes, and cheddar cheese. And now I'm hungry. Me <laughs> too. <laughs> it's about to be Halloween season. Would you rather work in a haunted house for one month or sleep in a haunted hotel for one night? How much do I have to pay to get out of either? I slept in a haunted hotel for two nights, so I'd say sleep in a haunted. Yeah. 
Ooh, where was this haunted hotel? In DC. Which one? Uh, it, at the time, it was called the GWN. It's I, I don't think it's called that anymore. George Washington University owned it, and I worked at the university, and we stayed there, and I refused to stay there ever again. I was like, <laughs> nope, I'm good. I woke up and heard a guy get murdered over my head. If that's not going to freak me out. Oh, oh, okay. That's a whole other <laughs> that, story. That, that took a turn. I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> get that for season two. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't think the answer is going to be Ghost Hunter, but if you weren't in the association world, what would be your hypothetical dream job? It's funny because the answer to this differs. If I could be successful at it and not have to worry about like money, musical theater, awesome. actress, there was a theater actress, not like backstage, musical theater actress. Nice. <laughs> well, Beth, that's our buzzer. So thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me. That was a lot of fun. Thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of Engaging in the Next. Join us each month as we discuss trends that impact what's next in the association world. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you'd like more information about association briefings, be sure to visit us online at associationbriefings.com. See you next time.